G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. Last week we were having a look at uh, people of peace. We just got started um, having a look at um, some stats. Love my stats. And today we're going to continue on um, looking at yeah people of peace. And um, yeah, for me... I'm aware that there's different times when I find it uh, hard uh, for different reasons to, to share my faith with others. Uh, and there's moments where things just click and I feel like I have a sense of God's love for me and God's love for others and it becomes a whole lot easier uh, to share with others when there's that kind of perspective. Um, there's a, a moment a couple of years ago that really stands out to me as a particularly tough moment um, of, of teaching and it wasn't anything to do with the behavior of the kids it was just something I could never have seen coming uh, this girl that I'd been teaching for a few months I had her every week for a double lesson uh, for science and she comes up to me and, and, and asks uh, whether I knew these two particular people and I won't say names because it's being recorded but um, and I said yeah I do uh, they're my first cousins and she just looks at me, and all based on my last name and their last name, she made, uh, made the connection. Um, so at the time, she was in year seven. And then she says, does that make you my uncle? And I'm like, you're going to have to help me catch up here a little bit. I don't know what's going on. Um, and then she said that one of those cousins of mine was, was her dad. And I'm gobsmacked and can't recall my response to her in the moment. Um, but we talked a little bit more and I asked her some things and then she said that she'd never met him. And it, was, it just it messed me up um, that, yeah, my first cousin who I spent a fair bit of time with over the years but have become disconnected with, I haven't seen him uh, for a number of years now, um, but she'd never met her dad. Um, and here was this girl who has had contact with him at, at different moments but has never met him face to face um, and she's just like what does this mean are you my uncle and I'm, obviously it's like first cousin once removed one generation removed but it's still a significant connection and um, it just conversation I had a couple of weeks ago reminds me again how significant the dad is even in times when the dad fails and has made people's lives really quite challenging there's still this desire to meet your dad like she still wants to meet him there's still that desire to spend time with him uh, I was talking with someone um, who married a single mum and uh, has brought up this this child since she was very young um, and the biological father lives in a different country and they're about to head back over and she's met him before but there's this strong desire for her just to spend time with him um, and even though he's made her life very challenging, there's just this really strong desire to, to meet her dad. Uh, one, one moment for me that was um, just one of those moments where things kind of clicked in the sense of me understanding my identity, understanding how loved I am and connecting that to how loved someone else was, was, was on a, a Greyhound bus. 
um, and I'm sitting behind this, this lady and I was just like super eager and I'm like chatting to her and I just said, like, Jesus loves you at one point and she said back to me, I, I hope so, I really hope so and that, then she like turned around, I guess that's the end of that conversation um, and I was just, I wanted to be able to communicate to her that Jesus loved her in a way that she would be able to receive. And so I was praying a simple prayer. I was like, God, would you just give me something that's personal for her, that's a little bit more concrete for her to grab a hold of, rather than just those words that she might be familiar with, Jesus loves you. Um, and I had a bit of an impression, and I went with it, and I was like, excuse me again. Yep, this guy behind you won't shut up. Um, when I said to you before that Jesus loves you, um, and you you know, sort of push back a little bit, saying, I hope so. Uh, I just had this real sense that, no, no, he really loves you. And I've been asking him if he'd give me a word for you. And I believe that he's saying that not only does Jesus love you, but your dad loves you. She just looks at me. I was like, my dad's dead. I was like, ooh. And then um, she said, I haven't, my dad's been dead for like 10 years. And I haven't thought about my dad for quite a long time. But ever since I got onto this bus this morning, he's the only thing I've been thinking of. And she's like, I'm pretty confident that God's speaking through you. Um, and so we had this epic conversation. And I remember a friend of mine that was sitting across the, the aisle. Uh, he was interceding. He was praying, you know, as we we're chatting. Um, and I don't know what has happened with this particular lady but we chatted for a long time and there was a lot of positive stuff and back and forth and she didn't commit her life to Jesus or anything like that in that moment but it's just interesting the role of the father and it's interesting the desire that people have to connect with their dad there's far more stories of the absent father than of the absent mother and I think the reality for each and every one of us is that if we see evangelism, if we see reaching out and sharing our faith um, as a bit of a project that we need to do, then it devalues the person that we're speaking to, but it also devalues the God who is the Father who desperately wants to be connected to his kids. If we're going in and wanting to just preach to somebody versus if we're going in and we're like, I've got someone I really want you to meet. There's someone that loves you. Like the all-powerful creator of the universe loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And it's actually within your power to say yes to that and to receive what he has for you. I want to pray. I'd love for you to join with me. So, Father, we just commit to you this concept of Father. We acknowledge that in this room there's so many different experiences of the Father and of men in general and there's so much that has happened that makes it hard for different of us, uh, different ones of us to connect with you as Father but thank you that you are so utterly good and thank you that you can use even the hard stuff, the horrible stuff and you can bring about good from it. So I ask today that there would be healing and wholeness for us in our relationship with you, in our understanding of you as Father. And I pray that we would have um, yeah, that understanding for ourselves but also for others 
as we are sharing with them the good news of Jesus and what it is that every single person is called into, into a living daily, minute-by-minute relationship with the ultimate Father who is not, you know, the reflection of the earthly fathers that we've had but the perfection of our earthly fathers. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing gift to us. I pray that we would receive it and I pray that we would share it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah and amen. So I'd like you to turn with me uh, to John chapter 1. And there's a a slide um, which just says person of peace, um, which is down a bit further, Riley. Um, And the the concept of the person of peace comes from Luke chapter 10. We'll look at that in a couple of minutes. Um, But I want us to have a look at how it plays out in John chapter 1, this concept of the person of peace. Actually, put a finger in there. It doesn't make sense to do it that way around. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. So finger or the bookmark or something or that little card I gave you um, can go into John chapter 1 and then flick over to Luke chapter 10. So we will use these cards in a little bit and I'll explain how. Um, So Luke chapter 10, this is the sending out of the 72. So Jesus has already sent out the 12. I've had some experience of going out in his name um, and now he's sending out even more. Um, And this is what he says to them. Oh no, I'll just go from the start. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So what's their role right there? To pray. They are asking by praying. And now let's continue to read. So verse 3, now go. (laughs) I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So he's told them to pray that there would be workers, and then he's sending them out as the workers that they have just prayed for. Verse 4, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the, way, along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace, there is the reference that we're going to be picking up a little bit, person of peace. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. I think it's the, um, the message that at this point says, like seeking out the best cook in town. <laughs> Don't move from house to house. Just eat what is set in front of you. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. So Jesus sends them out. And he says, don't take extra stuff. It's interesting that he says, don't carry sandals. Like, don't take a spare pair of sandals. 
sandals on your feet. Don't take spare stuff, essentially. Just go out with what you have, uh, which many would point to just meaning you don't have to go and get yourself organized and prepared to go. I've got you here. You're ready. Go. Get started now. Don't take excuses. Don't take time uh, in, in order to wait to go. You are ready as you are to do what I'm setting you out to do. Go. And so off they go. Um, and he gives them a strategy. He says, find a person of peace. Person of peace. And we're going to explain more about how we understand um, a person of peace to be. But what I want to do next is to go and have a look in John chapter 1. Just, just to point out that a person of peace is this base. It is a place to minister from. So a person of peace, literally someone that would receive them into their home would serve them through meals and through a bed where they could sleep and that was their um, base they operated from. So they were going out from that place and they were ministering to people then they were returning to there. So it was very much someone in that community who was serving them. All right, so let's go and have a look at John chapter 1 and we're going to pick it up in verse 35 uh, with John the Baptist. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Whose disciples are they? John the Baptist's. Yes, that's right. Verse 36. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So if we rewound a few verses, he says something very similar. Behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Amen. Takes away the sin of the world. And here he is now... Jesus is right there. He's got his disciples with him. Look, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Whose disciples are they now? Jesus. John just cost himself a couple of followers in this moment. They were following him. He points out who Jesus is and then off they go. We read in chapter 3, Jesus saying, sorry, John the Baptist, in response to Jesus and his followers baptizing more people than John was, he says, I must decrease, he must increase. And here we have him living that out. He's just like, it's great that you've been following me, but there's someone far better for you to follow. And he's right there. And so off they go and they get to follow Jesus for themselves. No longer... Is it a relationship through John in order to get to God? They get to go to God themselves. And this is such a beautiful picture of evangelism. This is what we are called to do. And that person of peace, you know, someone who is actually willing to serve you, someone who's got that kind of investment in you, obviously will listen to you. And you're then saying, this is the person you need to follow. And you can have a direct relationship with them. You don't have to go through me. Point someone to Jesus. And here we have these guys that take him up on that offer. Uh, we might fast forward a little bit uh, to verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him, him being Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon this is Andrew, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, 
you're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So you've got Andrew, who on John's recommendation goes to Jesus. And after spending you know, an afternoon with him, he then goes and gets his brother, Simon, and he brings him to Jesus as well. So again, you've got this passing on. It's not just, you know, Andrew going to Simon and telling him details about Jesus and saying, oh, you can't meet him for yourself. Like, just wait for the next update tomorrow. And then he goes back to Jesus himself. No, no, he goes and gets Simon and he brings him to meet Jesus for himself. There's someone I really want you to meet. It's going to change everything. What a beautiful concept, a beautiful understanding when it comes to evangelism. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him, come and see, Philip answered. So again, you've got someone who's reaching out to someone else in order to bring them to Jesus. There is no greater gift that we can give to someone than to introduce them to Jesus himself. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So you have details in here of Jesus and his relationship with these people that have been brought to him by somebody else. So no longer is it just Andrew's relationship with Jesus. No longer is it just Philip's relationship with Jesus or John's relationship with Jesus. But these secondary people, tertiary people, people that are down the line that have been invited by somebody who's been invited by somebody, they all get direct access to Jesus himself. There's someone I really want you to meet. If we have that kind of attitude when it comes to evangelism, someone is not a project for us. It's not about trying to get them to pray a prayer or a notch for our belt or whatever. It's just there's someone I really want you to meet. It is an absolute game changer. We had a look at it last week, and we're going to have a look at it again today. So this is my what-if scenario over the next few years. So we go back to slide number one, please, Riley. Like, what if my neighbor, um, who I've got written on this card, what if my neighbor um, over the course of this year says yes, and we read the Bible together, and he says, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, and he says, yes, let us go ahead and you can baptize me in my pool. I'm like, come on, bring it on. Um, and then the following year, next year, 2023. So my neighbor starts um, 
discipling his wife. Bring it on. How good. Um, and I get a chance to start discipling one of the dads from footy. Awesome. Here's the color coding. So you can see everyone that's been discipled then starts discipling. We see it again in the next slide. So 2024, uh, by that point, I'm able to, I'm discipling a tennis dad. Uh, my neighbor uh, is now discipling one of the other neighbors on our street. Um, and then his wife is now discipling uh, her friend. And the footy dad is now discipling his uncle. And then we continue on um, and we see it continues. And the following slide, 2026, just increases again. So by this point, we've got 32, um, including some fun ones. There's a drug dealer in there. There's the founder of Uber, um, Barista, milk delivery person. All sorts of different people are in this mix. Uh, they have had someone who has reached out to them, who has essentially said to them, there's someone I really want you to meet. And in that process, they've been able to disciple them to faith in Jesus. Jesus didn't start discipling people once they said, yes, I'm going to be a Christian. Jesus discipled people from where they were at. We put this sort of line in the sand and we have this kind of thinking that says you need someone to um, make a decision to follow Jesus and then you start discipling them. Whereas Jesus discipled people from where they were at there was no category of Christian at the time uh, when Jesus was ministering. And so here you see the beautiful multiplication that happens. So just after uh, Noah's 19th birthday um, in 2041, there have now been 1,048,576 people who have been discipled through this program. How fun. And that's just from one person. Starts with one person reaching out to somebody else. And I've put people in there that are in my world that I'm thinking about and I'm praying for. And my encouragement is that what if we all said yes to this? And we say yes to I'm going to start praying for this one person. They're not your project. They are someone that you have someone else to introduce them to. You want them to meet the person that will change everything for them. Uh, the next slide. You didn't realize you were joining a... Um, um, a wannabe megachurch. Um, but but here's, here's how we're going to make it work. So we've got a million people. We need to get through our Sundays. Um, so if we were to fit like 250 into the hall, um, if we keep going, this is how it could work. So we'd have 4,194 weekly services. The services go for two minutes and 24 seconds, uh, which makes 25 services per hour. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and allows us zero seconds in between services. Um, so that's how we're going to make this work, um, and it's going to be fantastic in 2041. We have this mindset, and there's been some amazing things that have happened through megachurches, and this is not me getting down on megachurches, um, but often we have this mindset of the classroom. We've got the one teacher out the front, and that teacher is then imparting and imputing their knowledge to all the students that are in there. Um, and we carry that across to the, the pulpit. And the preacher preaches and the people receive. And that's how it works. There are so many inhibitors to growth. If we have that mindset of we need to get people into a church service. 
But if it is about us all as individuals praying for our neighbours, our co-workers, our classmates, whatever the relationship is, if it starts with that and we're reaching out to them, inviting them to things, oh my goodness. What inhibitors are there to growth? Like if we're willing to take risks, if we're willing to step out and invite people into things, it's not based on when we get enough money to build a bigger building. It's not based on all these other things that can slow us down. We can get started right here, right now. There's no need to wait. What I want us to spend a bit of time doing is just considering who it is for us. So we're doing this thing, uh, two for two, for 22, where we're taking two minutes to pray for two people each and every day throughout this year. And my personal approach to this is that I've got one person who's not yet a Christian. He's a person of peace. Um, And I'm praying for him, and I pray for him every day, um, and then I'm praying for somebody else. Um, And I'm praying specifically for you guys. Um, But it changes from day to day who that person is. And there's some days where I'm praying for somebody else and then I just keep going for a while and I pray for other people. Other days, I just pray for those two and then I get on with what I'm, other things that I'm doing. It's really helpful if we don't, for me personally, and I think for most people, it's really helpful if we don't set a big, long list and commit to doing that every day. Because what often happens is it becomes overwhelming and we end up doing nothing. But if we set something that's achievable and we commit ourselves to doing it, there will be times we're like, I'm going to keep going. And you continue to pray. Um, And I want to introduce you to these prayer cards in just a moment. But maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the person of peace. Um, So the person of peace, there's, there's three really interesting criteria, and I've referenced one of them already. But a person of peace is someone who likes you, who listens to you, and who serves you. And the serving can be a bit of a stumbling block because you're like, all right, so if I'm going to be, say, inviting someone to read the Bible with me, or maybe I'm going to invite them to come along you know, for a Sunday gathering, or even just say, we have dinner as a church. Do you want to come along and join us 5.30 you know, on a Sunday? Whatever's going to be helpful to introduce them. But to invite someone... It's helpful for there to be some relationship there first. And for you to say, for you to have a a grid of, all right, does this person like me? Will they listen to me and serve me? And the serving thing, because the idea is that we as Christians should be serving other people, the idea that we're looking for somebody else to serve us seems a little bit counterintuitive. But if someone is willing to serve you, it's just reinforcing the fact that they like you and they'll listen to you and it means they're far more likely to say yes to an invitation that you extend to them. And the purpose is not that you're trying to, you know, get more and more minions that just do your bidding and serve whatever purpose you have in mind. Um, Like as I'm sitting there with, um, you know, watching Hudson's Tennis and trying to start conversations with people, I'm not like... It could be kind of fun to try it, but like, oh, my neck. Really, st- oh, really going massage right now, like just finding out who's going to serve me by giving me a massage. <laughs> I could definitely give the wrong ideas. 
Um, but to have that as a bit of a thing, like, is this person actually taking an interest in what I'm saying? Is there a sense that they like me? Are they actually willing to serve me? Um, and it could be that someone just, you know, they've got fruit trees and they bring you some of the produce, you know, some extra lemons to your house or they bring some eggs. Maybe if they're throwing the eggs at your house, it's not so much serving you. Um, but if they're willing to allow you to take those eggs, um, just those sorts of things as indicators and then going, okay, so there's something here. It's like John. So John the Baptist has disciples that are following him. Like they've given up everything in order to be his disciples. They are definitely his people of peace. They definitely like him. They definitely listen to him. They're definitely serving him. And then he's like, I want to introduce you to someone. Come and meet Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And they go and follow him. We're not trying to build a big following for ourselves. And the goal is not that Outpost ends up with a million people in it. The goal is that we disciple more and more people. Um, it's a beautiful um, thing that Nicky Gumble. you may know who Nicky Gumble is. So he started Alpha. Um, and he says that at uh, Holy, Trinity, Holy Trinity Brompton, which is the, where he has been the, the pastor, the rector, he says um, our, a strategy, a church strategy, is we've got a big front door and a big back door. And then uh, everyone's like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, our front door is Alpha. People are coming in all the time. And our back door is church planting. We are sending people out like crazy to start new things. And it's not about us trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's about the kingdom getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And people are serving and involved in all sorts of different things. So our goal is not to accumulate our own following. Our goal is to take whoever has some kind of interest in us, who has some kind of, um, there's some sense that they're following us, and then direct them towards the ultimate person to follow. So we do say, as Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, but we don't want them just following us. We want them following Christ. That's the greatest gift you can give someone, is to introduce them to Jesus. And that's what we're seeking to do. So this card that um, I've given you um, is something that, I was introduced to a few years ago uh, a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, which is a fantastic book. Um, and he recommends doing these prayer cards. Um, and when I first did it, I did a whole heap. This is one of those times that it just became a bit overwhelming. because so I did prayer cards for like everybody. Um, and then it became this thing of like, oh, I've got to do the prayer cards again. And it was like, that's going to take too long. Um, but we're going to start with just doing one prayer card. And we're going to do that today. And I want you to consider, is there someone in your world who's not yet a Christian, who likes you, who listens to you and serves you? And I want you to write their name on the card. And this is someone that you're committing to pray for. So you may already have this person of peace in mind. um, But the purpose of the prayer card is to write their name and just some things that you're praying for, for them. And it can be really helpful just to have those different prompts. Um, So I've just got a few things on here, like his wife's name, um, and just different prayer prompts. So neighbor, he's an excellent neighbor. He serves so many people in our community. 
He's a very keen gardener um, and, and just connecting with God's creation. So that's a prompt for me and just different things to, to pray into. If there's something you feel like God is speaking over a particular per, over this person, to write that on there as well. Um, because it can become just God bless this person and you have a little mental blank, but having a card can be a helpful prompt to, to pray intelligently uh, for the person on a regular basis. So um, we're going to take a little bit of time now um, where I encourage you to write someone down. And just one last thing before I get there um, is if this thing of they like you, they listen to you, they serve you, if you're like, I cannot think of anybody that's not yet a Christian that, say, serves me or obviously listens to me, then choose someone. Like, choose someone who's the closest fit that you can think of. Um, and if it really just comes down to this is a person at the moment that I think God's put on my heart because I've got a bit of a burden for them, I'd love to see them come to faith in Jesus, write them down. Um, but the idea of a person of peace, that's a helpful filter but don't let it stop you and don't let it mean you don't pray for anybody if you can't think of someone who fits all three of those criteria. Beth? Yeah. Um, so if they... So a couple of people that um, I was praying for last year. Uh, so I was coaching a footy team. Um, so the runner, another person that had um, helped out and had coached in my absence when I was... Um, away for a week, um, someone who will help with your, say, your gardening um, or collect your mail when you're away um, or someone who, it just shows that they think of you um, or they're willing to do something that kind of goes out of their way. Anyone else want to throw in any other examples? What's serving? Yeah, look after your dog. Bring you something when you were in isolation. Great question. No, it doesn't mean that they are serving you every day or every week. There's any necessarily reg, um, rhythm to it, but just they have demonstrated a willingness to serve you. That's a good clarifying question. Any other questions? Do you have to know them? Well, in terms of following this, they like you, listen to you and serve you, then yes. She does, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I wouldn't, um, wouldn't neglect people that are paid to serve you either. So like your barista or someone, if there is that connection, it's like, well, they really just do what they're paid to do. Um, I wouldn't throw that out, but at the same time, I wouldn't put heaps of weight on it. If someone doesn't have opportunity to serve you, obviously that makes it hard, but they're all things to keep in mind. How are we going? No, so we're actually um, about a year into a, a program that has come out of um, Crossway Baptist in, in Melbourne and it's called Building a Discipling Culture. And so the idea of a person of peace is something that we find in Luke chapter 10 and these guys have just, I guess, put some um, 
this, this sort of framework around it. Because um, our reality in Australia, we are in our seventh decade of decline. Like the church in Australia is in its seventh consecutive decade of declining numbers. And the public narrative around the church is of decline. I mean, the reality is the church is still massive. And you compare it to pretty much any other group in society and it still wins. But we have this public narrative of decline and it is actual, like we have seen a decline in numbers. Um, But we want to see that stop. We want to see the growth of the church once again. Father, would you speak to us? Would you reveal who you'd have us praying for, who you'd have us reaching out to? And we ask, Lord, that you would grow our heart for these people. We ask that you would show us how you see them. We ask, Lord, that we would see people who come into your kingdom this year that say yes to you, to follow you, walk with you, and start discipling others. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a couple of minutes um, just to do that. If you have written a couple of things down, I invite you to find someone else who's at that point as well, um, and you can pray with each other. If you just need a bit more time, then, yeah, take that time. I just want to give a couple of quick things that I found quite helpful when it comes to um, just starting a conversation with someone around things of faith. And um, I can ask about this with you on Wednesday, Steve, but just asking the simple question, anytime you get a chance to share that you uh, went to church on the weekend or something to do with your faith, instead of like, all right, what can I tell them to be able to ask a question for a chance to draw some things out? So any chance I get to tell someone that I'm a pastor or something to do with church, pretty much every time, I will say, how about you? What's been your experience of Christian stuff? And for a lot of people, it's school. You get some that have been involved. You get some that are Christians and are actively involved in church stuff at the moment. Great. Um, But it's amazing what happens when you open up the conversation and give someone else a chance to to share. Obviously, there's follow-on questions that you can ask that you can continue to ask, like if someone gives you a response, it's like, was that positive, was that negative? But just starting with that simple thing of how about you, what's been your experience of Christian stuff? It's just a a non-threatening question to continue the conversation. Um, But something that we're looking to ask people, even though it's not technically a question, um, is to invite someone to read the Bible with you. And so a phrase um, that I have tried... Um, unsuccessfully, um, is I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know if you'd be interested. And I just wait for them to respond. Like I said, it's not technically a question, uh, but it's, it's non-threatening and it's an invitation. And we've done it many times here. The Discovery Bible Method is fantastic for reading the Bible with someone who's not yet a Christian. You sit, you read a passage, you ask what stands out to you? What are you going to do about it? Simple as that. And, um, yeah, but asking someone that, well, saying that statement, which is kind of hoping for an answer, even though it's not a question, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with, I don't know if you'd be interested, um, has 
yielded many people um, reading the Bible, um, which is awesome. Um, yeah, so a goal is, like I, I said earlier, this is not about uh, more structures and things. Like we want this to go viral. Like we want something that's so simple. Uh, anyone can do it. It's reproducible. Just pick it up, have a go, start praying for someone, start inviting them. Um, whether it's reading the Bible, can I pray for you, whatever it is, but just taking those steps out. It's amazing what happens as we start to, to step out. I'd like to invite the band to come up um, and just encourage you um, to consider how you continue this. Um, great chance to chat about it over dinner tonight. Um, but yeah, put it into practice. Let's set an alarm um, on our on our phones or whatever is helpful for you, but just to pray regularly. It's amazing what happens as we pray. I, I love that, um, what Margot shared a couple of weeks ago. It's like soaking a pan. Um, if you try and scrub a pan um, when it's dry, it's usually a lot harder than when it's been soaked. And as we pray, uh, just the power of the, the soaking um, that, that God does as we are praying. So Father, we just commit to you uh, these people, these people of peace. Uh, we pray, Lord, that, yeah, again, you would be expanding our hearts for them, that you'd open our eyes to see the opportunities that are presented to us each and every day. I pray this wouldn't be a thing of condemnation for us and wouldn't be a thing of like, oh, I'm going so bad at this or I'm going so good at this, but rather just a step-by-step step in faith with you um, allowing you to work in and through us. Lord, would you have your way in us? Have your way. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are worth our time. You are worth our devotion. You are worth the time and the devotion for these people that are on our hearts and minds at the moment. I pray that we would have a clearer picture of you. That it wouldn't be about us working ourselves up to be able to do this thing, but rather just seeing you more clearly and responding more appropriately to your beauty, to your majesty, to your might, to this invitation that you extend to each and every one of us. Lord, have your way. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to continue to, to worship. <laughs>